Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash Pod Royale. In a mining town on the second moon of Jupiter. Something deadly is happening. Pretty soon you'll see that this is just like every other mining town. I work these people hard, and I, uh, I let them play hard. There's never much trouble. We're all professionals. I'm sure we are. Welcome to Smash Pod Royale, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films and Bond-related films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. This week, we'll be in deep space to stop a space drug ring, play some space golf, and confirm that while no one can hear you scream, they can certainly see your head exploding. Yes, it's Outland. And joining me in the squash court that we've got booked for high noon is comedian, writer, musician, and podcaster, Mitch Ben. Hello. Hello, John. Hello. Welcome. It's lovely to have you. It's lovely to be here. And uh, lovely to be here discussing a sort of forgotten minor gem, I think. Someone someone said to me on Twitter yesterday, and it's bang on, that if you look up like dictionary definition of underrated film, it will be Outland. Yeah, probably. It's Mm. it's, it's a great great little movie. But it's also a real curio on on many levels. You know, Mm. it's it's, specifically... I think we might as well cut to the chase right now. The, the, the most interesting, certainly in retrospect, one of the most interesting things about it is the fact that it is essentially an unofficial entry in the alien universe. Yes. Um, because it is absolutely set in the alien universe. It, it must be. 
But apart from Jerry Goldsmith doing the music, there is no overlap whatsoever with the Alien movies. No. Um, it, it, and and I've I'm, I'm been trying to think if there's another example of that, of a film sort of plonking itself uninvited in the reality of a different mo- of another movie. Um, and, and the only one I can think of, weirdly, comes back to Ridley Scott. Again, there's a, a movie from about, I think, about 1998 called Soldier, uh, oh, yeah. directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. The, mm. the, the, I think it's the first thing he did after Event Horizon. Yes. He's sort of one of, the most, one of the most maddening directors in the world. He, yes. he, he's, he's incredibly good at making really bad movies. Mm. Um, and, but, but this is possibly, this and Event Horizon are probably his two best ones. Stars Kurt Russell as this guy's trained from birth to be this kind of uh, mindless soldier who ends up leading this rebellion on a planet which is essentially a rubbish dump. But one of the guys who wrote it, I think it's David Peoples, co-wrote the screenplay, who mm. also wrote one one of the many drafts of Blade Runner. Yeah. And he puts in a couple of references to Blade Runner stuff just tangentially as the screen goes. So I think the Battle of Tannhauser Gate, which Roy is reminiscing about as he slowly dies on the rooftop at the end of Blade Runner, yeah. is referenced in this. And uh, and so that kind of edges its way into the periphery of the Blade Runner universe. Whereas Outland just plonks itself right down, bang in the middle of the <laughs> alien universe. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it- of course, it's got nothing to, you know, other than the fact, just to... Other than the general aesthetic and tone, it's got nothing to do with Alien. Yeah. But if you put it on and told somebody it was the sequel to Alien, they would completely buy it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it just if you watch this and Alien back to back, you'd be like, wow, they've got like an extended universe of, <laughs> yeah. you know, stuff. Absolutely, yeah. It's bizarre, and and that's the only movie I can think of that does that. Because, of course, obviously, as, as is well known, the plot is based very closely on high noon mm. um sheriff in a little town in the middle of nowhere it becomes apparent that the unstoppable killers are coming to get him and will be arriving on the train slash space shuttle mm. and the rest of the town start avoiding him because they decide he's doomed uh. and 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 that kind of certainly the last hour or so of outland is very closely based on high noon mm. um and of course in the meantime you've got Sean Connery, it's, 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 I don't know. On the one hand, I was thinking, because I was thinking to myself, because I rewatched it again a few days ago. And I mm. thought, I've always remembered this as a classic example of Sean turning up, being Sean, getting paid, going home, you uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, most actors of his stature kind of have a few of those movies in there, you know. It's mm. Basically, how Michael Caine spent the whole of the 1980s, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> turns up, does, does a Michael Caine thing, gets paid, goes home, you know, and mm-hmm. this is. Very much Sean turns up, gets does the Sean thing, takes the money, goes back, plays golf, you know. Um, mm. And but watching it again, he's actually—I don't know—it's it's one of his more thoughtful characterizations because he's yeah. not—he's—he's a—he's a rather humble character in this. Mm. He doesn't, you know, he's got that Sean Connery not taking any shit from anybody kind of thing going on. But he's not, he's not cool. He's not swaggery. He's not, um, he's not smug that, you know, Sean can, like Pierce, can occasionally radiate a bit of smugness. Yeah. There's absolutely no smugness coming off of Sean in this. No. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of one of his last action hero parts before he basically transitions into the wise old mentor phase of his career in Highlander and the Untouchables about five or six years later. Yeah. Um, um, because that's kind of what he did for the last 15 years of his career was basically play wise old mentors mm. um, 
basically everything that Liam Neeson's done for the last 10 years of his career. That's very true. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Played, yeah. Oh, you get, well, you get those actors who sort of sequ- sequentially follow. I've always thought that, you know, um, Liam Neeson's career is everything Sean Connery was doing 30 years previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, you, you've got that, that thing. So he kind of transitions into those kind of Obi-Wan parts via Highlander and, and the untouchables in the sort of mid late eighties. So in the early to mid eighties, he was still playing kind of, grizzled aging action heroes but action heroes nonetheless and this is kind of one of the last one of those i suppose but he's he's uh he's, he's, one, one thing is it's, it's interesting obviously uh, one could write essays that are about casting as storytelling hmm. the fact that when you cast a certain actor in a certain part it kind of does a lot of the backstory for you yeah because you learn nothing about this character apart from the fact that he's got a wife and kid who was suspiciously a bit young for him so <laughs> the part was probably the part was probably written for somebody about 10 years younger than Sean but then they got Sean to screw it mm. um but it's just the, the very fact that this guy is being played by Sean gives you sort of an awful lot of background detail that you might otherwise have to fill in with exposition <laughs> That's true. You, you just kind of, you just kind of make because you, you know nothing about his background, what old, uh, what age he is. I mean, one is given to understand that because he's Federal Marshal William T. O. Interestingly spelt Neil. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's 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 O apostrophe N E I L, which is literally the only occurrence ever of that spelling of the name O'Neill, and I've no idea what. I don't know whether they were going for some kind of futuristic names will all be spelled differently that's in the why i'm thinking thing, yeah. but yeah. yeah but but there's there's nobody else's name appears to have been tweaked like that um but <laughs> but yes you've got um you, you've, you've got marshall william t o'neill and it is you are given to it i mean again it's pretty good economy of storytelling it does a lot of showing not telling which i always appreciate in a mm. movie you are given to understand that the sp- solar system is being commercially exploited at some point in the indeterminate near-ish future Hmm. some point in the next couple of hundred years anyway the solar system is now being commercially exploited there are mining colonies on some of the moons of the gas giants including this one on io Mm -hmm. um and the and 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 law enforcement is being carried out by the federal marshals so yeah there are cops there are whole divisions of cops whose job it is to maintain law and order on off-world outposts and given the brief conversations that he has with his wife before she runs away about 15 (laughs) minutes into the movie, uh, we are given to understand that this is one of the worst jobs. This is one of the the less enticing jobs to be given, being put in charge of this mining town on Io, the moon of Jupiter. Um, So, yeah, it it has a nice economy of storytelling. I I like movies that credit me with a bit of intelligence, that don't sort of lay the whole thing out, just like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Mm. You've seen Alien. You know the deal. (laughs) (laughs) You know the deal. Space is, you know, it's it's space, but it's not Star Trek space. It's not being, it's not all we come in peace, and it's not being uh, explored by any kind of, you know, governmental or militarized agency. It's being explored by people who are in it for the money. Yeah, and that's blue collar uh, space, yeah. which is what we got in Alien. It's blue collar space, mm. yes, which he got in Alien. So yeah. it's, yeah, so basically Alien, what one can almost suspect that, you know, the, the, the ship in Alien is bringing the mining platform back from just such an installation as this yeah. at the beginning of the ship, uh, at the beginning of the, uh, of the movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely 
it has that. I mean, it's 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 kind of off a piece of other things. It's before Blade Runner, of course. Mm. Blade Runner comes out the next year, and some of the interiors, kind of particularly that, because I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine once after we'd read watched Blade Runner back in the nineties, mm. and he were he thought that the scene in the bar where he finds Joanna Cassidy as the snake dancing stripper yeah he was convinced that that had been cut because he remembers seeing her dancing naked in a blue light and i said that's outland mate yeah <laughs> you, you've cross remembered if <laughs> i think i think the i think the naked dancers in the bar are supposed to be holograms i mean oh. they're patently not mm. they're basically they're patently naked people dancing on the bar with blue lasers shining at them yeah. but i think they're I, I get the impression they're supposed to be like holographic strippers um <laughs> But but yeah, he 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 cross remembered it. He's just like I remember seeing her dancing naked on the bar of blue light. No, no, that's Outland, mate. The the the, the holographic strippers are from Outland. Um, but I can imagine how if you hadn't seen either this or Alien or Blade Runner for a long time, you might remember bits of it turning up in each other's movies. Yeah, because I would also say that you could easily slot Blade Runner into this universe as well. You can quite imagine. Well, I mean that happened my at the same own time. yeah my only quibble with that because i had this conversation with somebody once my only quibble with uh, and, and it was sorted in one in uh in in, in three words which mm. is quite nicely done i forget who it was who figured out and figured this out for me but i said my only thing about uh blade runner and, and the alien uh universe coexisting in the same reality is why you have the red-blooded replicants and the milk-blooded synthetics Mm. wouldn't you just you have the red-blooded replicants in Blade Runner you have the milk-blooded synthetics in, in Alien why would you have both and he solved it in three words he said Max and PCs <laughs> I said yeah you're right that solves that solves that that completely solves that Max and PCs and I'm given to understand for all that I really did not like Prometheus or Covenant there's uh, mm. a bit of Oh, there was a bit of I think in, in like the extended press kit, or there was there was or, or an Easter egg or something. There's uh, the the character played by Guy Pearce in Prometheus, who's mm, Mr. Wayland, who sets up the Wayland Utani Corporation, which you're seeing the beginnings of in Prometheus. Apparently, there's some Easter egg somewhere you get to read his blog, uh -huh. and he seems to make sneering reference to Doctor Tyrell. From, Alien, oh, from, from wow. Blade Runner. You know, yeah, he said, you know, oh, I remember you, my friend, sitting up there in your pyramid, lording it over everybody until one of your creations pulled your head off, you know. Hmm. And, 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 and so, yeah, the idea may be that the synthetics actually take over from the replicants when the replicants just prove too problematic, you know. Maybe hmm. that's an idea. You, you need them to be identifiable, yeah, I, and, and maybe that's, you know. I bet Tyrell was laughing so when, when Whalen got his head ripped off. <laughs> Absolutely, everybody gets their head ripped off. That's yeah. the way it works. <laughs> but that's yeah. So that 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 sorted out the blend. But you're right. This this well, this whole thing sort of I don't know. Um, it's that early eighties sci-fi aesthetic I love. The the future kind of defined itself in the early eighties in a way that we've never really been able to get away from. No, I think Star um, Wars started it, didn't it, with a kind of dirty future yeah, thing. Yeah, Star Wars did that. But what Star Wars wasn't, of course, was a vision of the future. It was an entirely mm. imaginary universe. Mm. It kind of started it with that kind of busted up, dirty look of technology. Mm. Um, with you know the Falcon basically being this rattly old you know uh, banger yeah. that's just been souped up beyond its you know structural capacity mm. um and all the imperial stuff is all gleamy and shiny because they're the bad guys and all the rebel stuff is basically held together with gaffer tape because they're the good guys yeah but yeah that that kind of dirty old broken technology thing star wars kind of brought that in in a way that i don't think i'd ever seen it before but um blade runner was sort of 
Blade Runner is the most all-pervasive vision of the future I think there's ever been, to the point now where even now, now that Blade Runner is actually technically in the past, Hmm. when people try and depict the future, they get dragged back to Blade Runner. You know, yeah. Altered Carbon on Netflix, it's, it looks like Blade Runner. When Duncan finally got mute made on Netflix, it looked like Blade Runner. You know, hmm. there it, it, it just doesn't seem to be any way of getting away from that. It was such a pervasive vision of the future. And this kind of plays into that. I mean, they say it, it doesn't know it's inspiring Blade Runner. It thinks it's ripping off Aliens. Hmm. Alien, rather. But it, hmm. it, 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 it's part of that grimy industrial future that was very much defined in the sort of the early 80s and and like i say it's been such a it was such a convincing vision of the future that we don't really be able to seem to get away from it yeah. i mean one thing which is interesting of course is a couple of years after this peter himes the director did 2010 yeah and there's an almost deliberate contrast between the pre-star wars and alien interiors of the american ship from the first movie that they go to was go there mm-hmm. and the post-alien interiors of the Russian ship, which they they travel out to meet it on. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, it's it's almost like a deliberate contrast between the everything white and clean and gleaming, and everything dark and oily and rusty. Yeah, because you know the Russian ship is the Russian ship is definitely a post-alien and indeed by then Blade Runner ship. Mm-hmm. But the American ship, obviously, of course, has to look like it looked in the first movie when everything when it looked like the inside of a hospital, yeah. a particularly meticulously maintained hospital. Mm. Uh, so, you, but I, I got I got the feeling that he's sort of taking the advantage of creating a visual contrast there between, like, you know, the shiny, clean American stuff and the grimy industrial Russian stuff. <laughs> um, so the film begins. With yes, some miners. Let's do the plot. Let's do the the plot. film begins exactly like Alien begins with a bunch of captions. <laughs> And even the same kind of opening titles, <laughs> with the title slowly revealing well, itself in the space. Only, the, the, the opening titles actually are more like the Aliens opening titles, yeah, aren't true. they? With, yeah. with, with the word slowly fading in behind mm. the captions. Whereas in Alien, it slowly reveals itself, one, the, you know, the title slowly reveals itself one segment of letter at a time. That's true. But you're right, uh, 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 with, with sort of doomy, echoey chords by Jeremy Goldsmith. Mm. But then, by Jeremy, Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> but then it begins exactly as Alien does, with uh, captions explaining where we are and what we're doing and where we are is on io moon of jupiter and what we're doing is we're in a mining colony mining titanium ore with 2213 inhabitants uh one sixth earth gravity which they seem to have a lot of fun with in duke and we'll discuss we'll discuss the way this cake this film really wants its cake and eats it as regards science yes i think <laughs> in you're right, due course that. yeah <laughs> it really wants its cake and eats it um but uh, and and you know law enforcement federal marshals and then we are with a bunch of guys in the mines three american actors and, who were living in london at the time yeah yeah american actors who are all living in london because this yeah. is all being shot in london mm. so basically it's american actors living in london uh uh john Yes, exactly. And yeah. then Cliff from Cheers has a meltdown. It does. <laughs> yes. Cliff from Cheers, who is one of the guys. He's not Cliff from Cheers yet. He will be Cliff from Cheers in about two years' time. Yeah, he and hasn't got his moustache here. So it's really he hasn't got his moustache yeah. yet. You know. He's probably best known to you know the kids out there as the voice of somebody in every Pixar movie ever yeah. made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, John Ratzenberger, Cliff, hey, Sammy, uh, from, from, from Cheers. <laughs> Uh, suddenly has a meltdown, decides his spacesuit is full of spiders, yanks his spacesuit, uh, y- yanks the tubes out of his spacesuit, and bursts. Yeah, they, they love a head and, exploding in this. 
They love an exploding head in this. Yeah. Now, this was a commonly held misconception at the time, was that if you went out into space without a spacesuit on, you would burst. <laughs> um, I can't think of any other film that gets quite as much mileage out of that idea as this does. No, I can't either. Um, in fact, the only other movie I think that really does it, it's not a spacesuit, it's a, it's a diving decompression chamber, is Licence to Kill. I was just going to say, uh, yeah. Yeah, and again, I'm not sure that would work in Licence to Kill either. Um, mm. You would get the bends pretty chronic, but I don't think it'd actually explode. What you've got to bear in mind is that the human body is largely solid and liquid. Very little of it is gas. Mm. And solid and liquid don't expand or contract relative to external pressure pressure only gas does so if you suddenly have subjected yourself to zero external pressure unless you by a supreme effort of will took a deep breath and held it you would not in fact explode um you would die mm -hmm. <laughs> but it would be rather less graphic than than bursting you, you don't you don't just burst because the, there's not much gas inside the human there's not that much gas inside the human body to explode and basically what there is has easy escape routes basically through your nose mouth and you know should it come to that ass yeah. <laughs> um, but you know all the gas in your body has a way out it would expand under sudden drop in pressure but it's all got a way out it wouldn't just blow you up like that but this was a a, a common misconception at the time was that if you exposed yourself to a vacuum with no suit you would just burst and so anyway but that's the reality that we're in so cliff from cheers tears his suit open and bursts mm. um and then we do we then cut to it's connery sean and sean and wife and kid in yeah. his grim little flat that's right. on board this this mining colony with his sort of workstation with lots of good old-fashioned curvy monitors and also and, computers um, where you only have to type three buttons but it prints it types a whole screen Yep, that's it. Yeah, but it's all green screen. You know? yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and interestingly, the corner of his living room, which appears to be the lounge, is kind of decorated like the computer room on the Nostromo. Yes. It's kind of white and quilty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's, he's getting up and going for work and he apologizes to his missus, who spends the entire movie in her dressing gown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like Arthur Dent. Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of silk dressing gown, which he spends the time in dressing gown. And he has a curiously accented kid mm. who uh, is way too young for these to be his parents. Yeah. Uh, and is patently played by an English kid, dubbed probably by an American woman. Uh, there is no reason for his kid to have an American accent, given that his mum's English and his dad's Scottish, but hey. And we find out he's never um, been to Earth. And we find out he's never been to Earth. Mm. So obviously this this whole system of... Uh, you know, commercial colonization of the solar system has been going on for quite some time because the, you, you can actually spend your entire life out there and never get back to Earth. And evidently, Sean and his missus haven't been home and back to Earth in at least about 10 years yeah. because their kid has never seen Earth. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the first sort of seeds of doubt are sown when he gets a message from his number two played by one of the great underrated character actors of all time mm. james b sicking yeah. he's one of those quietly brilliant character actors isn't he mm -hmm. yeah I, I bet he never spent a day off work that he didn't want but he never actually got properly fair. I suppose the closest he got to being famous is when he was in hill street for about 10 years i was years. gonna but, say that was the thing yeah, yeah yeah but and but he's he's just always turned up in stuff and he's always brilliant in it and mm. he's this sort of slightly shabby half-assed number two that, that sean's got and he leaves him a message saying that he picked up those travel tickets for his wife mm. which 
his wife manages to come up with some excuse that she got them for a neighbor of theirs. Yes. But of course, uh, the seeds of doubt are now planted in our mind, if not necessarily Sean's, that basically his wife is planning on running away. Yes. Uh, uh, which in due course it is obviously has. But on his way, says, look, I know this is your lousy assignment. You know, so <laughs> evidently they've had better jobs than this. But, yeah. you know, well, just give it a chance, okay? And then off he goes to his briefing uh, with the station chief played by Peter Boyle, another one of those quietly brilliant character actors. Yes. Um, interesting bit of casting because I think this is, is this the only bad guy ever. I, I don't ever recall seeing... The, the interesting thing about him is, one, I don't ever recall seeing Peter Boyle being cast as a bad guy because Peter Boyle was usually cast as sort of likable schlubs. Yes. Apart from, of course, that one time he was Frankenstein's monster. Yes, of course. <laughs> in, in Young Frankenstein, in which he is brilliant. Mm. But he generally plays sort of amiable, schlubby kind of guys. And he's still playing his usual amiable, schlubby kind of character, except, of course, we do, we discover in due course that he is the big bad of this movie. Mm. But what's interesting about him is that he looks and sounds almost exactly like Rob Reiner in Spinal Tap. He does. He does. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, basically, Peter Boyle as Rob Reiner in Spinal Tap. <laughs> um, <laughs> is 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 the station chief is like the general manager of the station and at this briefing he mm. kind of hints to sean that there is a degree of corruption here which he will be expected to suck up yes um he doesn't see he basically says ah oh, the people here they work hard they like to play hard i like to give them a bit of space everybody gets along in other words don't be too much of a hard ass just because you're sean connery mm. you know um whereupon sean in, in my my favorite line in the movie goes stomping out what the bloody hell was that all about yeah. he says to james hey he's just gonna he's an arsehole it's my favorite <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite line i'm sure it said asshole in the script but sean's not going to pronounce that asshole no. for anybody he's an arsehole but peter boyle uh, <laughs> as rob reiner in um Spansap also reveals yeah. that they've broken all productivity records since yes. he's been in charge again mm. planting seeds planting mm. seeds My mate bought a toaster. We go through celebrities' Amazon purchase histories so you don't have to. Keep calm and love Dom Jolly, novelty keyring, yeah, and fridge that. magnets. Yeah, I love that. The G-spot. <laughs> the good vibrations, guys. Green dot laser sight rifle gun scope. I've bought that quite a lot of times, I think. Right, okay. The sex doctor's guide to keeping it hot. Ah, oh, interesting. Did another child come along nine months later? Yeah. <laughs> Loads of great apps up now and new ones dropping every Monday. That's My Mate Bought a Toaster from Great Big Al. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Because then we cut to uh, the workers uh, busying about this, uh, and they all appear to live in basically bunk beds with with Venetian blinds either side of them. Yeah, and one of them is uh, the dad from Two Point Four Children. Yeah, Gary Olson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Gary Olson just busying about in a Donald Trump hat and minding his own business. But he yeah. is probably dealing stuff because mm. he slipped something to none other than Stephen Burkoff. Yeah. Again planting seeds because there is not much point getting Stephen Burke off in your movie unless he's going to go completely fucking mental <laughs> at some point in the fairly big future. <laughs> you don't get, you know, Stephen Burke. I mean, again, this is probably the beginning of Burkoff's weird, um, parallel lives period that he spent in the 1980s because Stephen Burkoff, I mean, he's been around since the late sixties. He shows up in stuff like UFO and clockwork orange, orange, yeah, basically playing yeah, he's, he's, the, he's one of the coppers in Club yeah. McGoyne. Yeah. See, he basically turns up in supporting roles. He's like he's a fighter pilot in one episode of UFO, you mm -hmm. know, that kind of thing. But he was also, in the theatrical world, establishing himself as this kind of weird avant-garde monologuist. Mm. And that was what he used to do. He used to play, do weird ranty monologues in art house theatres back in London. And that was kind of his, that was kind of his, I suppose that was his, that was his passion. That was what he seemed to be devoting all his energy for. But at some point round about now, Hollywood realizes that he makes for an incredibly good bad guy. Yeah. So he starts basically for the whole of the 1980s, kind of from Octopussy onwards. Because mm. in Octopussy, he plays his bug-eyed, ranting rogue Russian general who's mm -hmm. going to blow up a, an airbase in Europe to get the Americans kicked out of Europe, which is exactly the same plot as Fourth Protocol, except it's Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Um, and and then after that, two years later, he turns up as 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 yeah, Colonel. Bastardovsky in, in, in Rambo or whatever the hell he was called. You know? yeah, so he yeah. turns up as evil Russian officer. In, and then he's the evil gangster who Eddie Murphy goes after in Beverly Hills. And at some point, I think he, he realized that if I spend six months of the year in L.A. Um, playing rent of bad guys in action movies, I can then come back and spend all the money on nude Coriolanus on ice, you know. Um, and, 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 and he had this weird sort of, you know, bifurcated existence because everybody in London thought of him as this, you know, this, the, the, you know, the, the, the king of, of avant-garde, shouty, agitprop theatre. But everybody in the States thought, oh, yeah, he's that bug-eyed guy who was the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> and, and there's been a few actors. I mean, I mean, Malkovich had a similar kind of deal in the 90s, you know, that he would sort of make these, these art house movies, but also then he'd be the bad guy in Line of Fire and Connor. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. he, he seems to have that. that he, he just, well, I make for a good bad guy in action movies, so screw it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well interestingly Burkhoff's the bad in Beverly Hills Cop but he doesn't shout it's probably his most sort of 
controlled performance ever, isn't it? Yes, he's he's kind of he's kind of silkily menacing. He's kind of giving it the Oliver Reed, isn't he, rather mm. than the uh, the bugger Because of course, in this one, he duly goes properly batshit mental. Because what? after Sean goes back to his dingy flat and discovers that his wife has run off with his kid, mm. we then discover that one of the workers has gone completely nuts and is holding one of the uh, is holding one of the colony's prostitutes hostage. We've also in, had another I worker go into an elevator and. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. We had a guy walk into the elevator in his pants. Yeah. We had uh, another worker get in some kind of blissful trance-like state, go down the elevator go down the elevator to the bottom mining levels in his pants, and when they open the elevator door, he has burst all over the inside of the elevator. He looks like a monkey in the, the fly. Mo- yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, because this is the movie where people burst. Yeah. So he's burst. Uh, this is the burst. Sean Connery and bursting people in space. That's what this movie is. So mm-hmm. anyway, he goes down in the elevator and duly bursts all over the inside of it. Um, and then, have we met Francis Stohagen yet? At this no. Point? Is this uh, after? After no. he finds out his wife's gone, he then goes to see Doctor Lazarus. Doctor Lazarus. Now I mm. love this part. Mm. Um, I think this part actually makes up for a lot of the things that might otherwise be wrong with this movie. Mm. Uh, I, I, I seem to recall reading somewhere that much as with Ripley and Alien, this wasn't a woman in the original draft. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what I like about it is the only women you see in this entire movie are either the basically the, the sort of company concubines, the company prostitutes, mm. um, one of whom gets menaced and cut up by Stephen Burkoff, as we'll discuss in a minute, yeah. uh, and Sean's wife who spends the entire movie in a nighty and runs away. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's not, it's not exactly Bechdel testing it, this film. It really no, isn't. Um, no. But you get this character, Dr. Lazarus, who is the uh, chief medical officer, or basically the town doctor, because this movie keeps reverting to Western type, and she's kind of the grumpy old town doctor Mm. except she's a grumpy old female town doctor and she's a great character because she's what i like is she's a contemporary of sean she's patently 50-ish at least as well yeah um she becomes kind of his sidekick for the rest of the movie yeah and the only person and also the they instantly have that thing where they do in movies where you have a cantankerous lead whereby the he instantly grudgingly gives respect to the other character who is as cantankerous as he is. Yeah, because you get so that lovely kind exchange of, when you, she says, um, two aspirins and yeah. call me in the morning. It's a doctor joke. And he says, right, well, get that done, then I'll kick your nasty ass all over this station. That's your cop joke. Yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, that Sean obviously relishes delivering that line. Yeah. There's just a few moments in this movie where he gets to Sean out and sort mm. of do the eyebrow, and you know. Um, but yeah, that's that's. Um, but she's a great character because she becomes like she's his contemporary. She's yeah. kind of his equal, and yeah, she. So, and, and also, what's nice is possibly just because they're both middle-aged and he's still married. There's not even a hint of attraction between them. It's no. just respect. <clears throat> No, it's it's just mutual respect. There's not a hint of attraction between them. No. Um, although weirdly, and maybe it's just my advancing years. When I first saw this movie, I thought of her as the grumpy old lady character. But now I've turned fifty and I watched her again. I think actually she's quite sexy in a sort of grumpy old lady kind of way. 
<laughs> I think that's just me getting older. But yeah, yeah but, but so. yeah, and lockdown played by Francis Sturdhagen. And look, yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, she, she's, I think, possibly that she's one of the characters that actually really makes this film work, possibly because mm. she's one of the characters who's actually a character. I mean, Sean is, you know, kind of doing the Sean thing to a mm. great degree. But um, but anyway, meanwhile, then Stephen Burkhoff uh, has a meltdown and locks himself in a room with one of the town prostitutes and is literally running around in circles with his eyeballs sticking out, holding a knife. Yeah. That's what he's doing. He injects when they himself get there, with Vimto. He ejects himself with Vimto, and yeah. now he's running around in circles holding a knife. Yeah. Uh, and Sean, and, and this is, again, one of those, those um, things where you suddenly realize, you know, certain actors who are... The, the bit where he plays it exactly the way Liam Neeson would have done 30 years later yeah. is when he's talking to, 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 to you know, says, I promise you, the only gun, don't hurt that girl. I promise you nothing will happen. Hmm. If you do hurt that girl, I will kill you. You know, and you just think, yeah, that's Liam Neeson heard that line and has been delivering those lines like that ever since. Uh, but so Sean successfully talks, ranting Stephen Burkoff running around in circles in his pants, holding a knife into maybe not doing anything stupid. But hmm. just before he gets the door open, James B. Sicking his number two jumps into the room via the ventilation duct and blows Stephen Burkoff away with a shotgun at point blank range, hmm. thus planting our seeds of doubt about sergeant montone um the james b sicky character sean's heretofore sort of schlubby and inoffensive number two suddenly we begin to suspect that he's up to something and uh he's indeed up to something because how does you oh that's right sean gets the names of the two possible dealers from how does he get the names of the the, the, the two guys who he thinks are dealing well first off he, how does he get those names first off, he finds from dr lazarus that the company takes all the bodies away. And there's no autopsies. There's been that's right. There's never any autopsies. There's been 20, twenty-eight weird deaths off. in the last six months. That's right. Yes. So he goes into his and computer. They, and the bodies and, just get jettisoned. Yeah. Sorry, he goes. The bodies just, just get jettisoned. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, go on. Say it. He puts into his computer how many uh, people who are working for the company have got criminal records. How many have got records for drugs? And it's just two names come up. That's right, yes. He discovers there's two convicted drug dealers on the payroll. In the Yario and Spota. Yario and Spota. So he decides mm. that Messrs. Yario and Spota are probably at least responsible for the distribution of this drug once we get into the station. Because um, when uh, there is an autopsy on Stephen Burkhoff's uh, uh, body, at Sean's insistence, they discover this synthetic amphetamine in mm. his bloodstream and it becomes apparent that there is a drug ring on the station that these work the, the workers are being sold this drug because it makes you feel great and it makes you work like a bastard but unfortunately after a few weeks you go mental mm. but of course that's why the station's breaking all the productivity records and that's why nobody's doing anything about it so mm. now it's sure enough to decide whether the company's just turning a blind eye to this or whether the company's actually organizing it and he decides that the company is probably organizing it and he uses his um, his CCTV station back at the cop shop yeah. to um, follow Messrs. Yario and Spoter around, and he finds them having a conflab in the corner with General Manager Shepard, but then also Sergeant Montone sits down with General Manager Shepard, yeah. and Sean has the, oh my God, they're all in it, to they're all in it together moment. And then he plays That's squash he with Montone. And then he plays squash with James B. Sicking in a weird digital squash court that lights up when you hit it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, because, squ 
Yeah, it's funny, but I only just remember that. that could, yeah, squash is a thing in the early 80s. Mm. Does anybody still play squash? Uh, probably the Tories. Squash seems, but Tories, probably. But squash seemed to kind of come and go, didn't it? Mm. You know what I mean? It really did. Squash seemed to kind of come and go. Um, but yes, that's. I, I'm not aware of anybody playing squash anymore. But mm. they're playing squash in the weird digital squash court where the, the quadrants of the wall light up when you hit them. And uh, he confronts Montone about his complicity in the drug distribution racket. Mm. And Montone just confesses fairly quickly. Yeah. And Sean says, no, I'm not going to bust you. You're going to carry on working for Shepard, but you're going to tell me about all of it. Yeah. So he's, you know, you're going to be my man on the inside, on the inside now, you mm. know. Um, and so that's that becomes the deal with him. You know, and then what happens next? Well, next um, he sees he finds Spoter and they have like a chase. That's right. Yes, yeah. they have that truly epic chase yeah. uh, through the bar, through the kitchen. Um, and it's a really good fight scene, actually. Is, yeah. And um, also, what's interesting is, you know, say like little bits of design aesthetic. I mean, some bits are directed borrow, direct, uh, borrowed directly from Alien. The cop shop, the police station, is exactly the same layout as that kind of ready room in the on the Nostromo. Absolutely. Even down to that, that that circular cluster of TV monitors in the middle of the ceiling. Mm. Um, but weirdly, the refectory looks a lot like the one in Alien Three. Yes. Um, you know where Brian Glover gets dragged up through the ceiling. Yeah. That, that, yeah, so it's 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 interesting. You know that this borrows a lot from the Alien universe, but the Alien universe subsequently, I think, borrowed from it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that genuinely really vicious fight scene. Where I mean, a lot of it is obviously still Sean. A lot of it is not because I know I, 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 a a constant topic of discussion on Smurf Pod because I'm a big fan of the pod. I should oh, say that right. Thank now. you. Um, Oh, no, it's great. A, a, a regular topic of discussion is over the Roger Moore era of yeah. how less and less of him is Roger <laughs> as you go through the movies until by view, view to a kill. Basically, every time he's not standing up or standing still or sitting down, it's not Roger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just increasingly little of James Bond is actually played by Roger Moore as the Roger Moore movies progress. Increasingly, it's stunt doubles in a sort of strange ginger wig. Mm. Um, but yeah, in that fight scene, it's fairly obviously genuinely shown for most of it. He looks in good shape um, in this. I think he is in good shape for yeah. this. I think, you know, I think... Um, because, you know, I mean, he, he complains about being out of shape in The Untouchables, but you don't know, he might have put some weight on for that. Yeah. Know? And um, he was certainly still in, he was certainly still in pretty good nick for whatever kind of age he was, right up until he retired after The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, a movie which would have made anybody retire. Oh, but yeah, um, yeah. it's, God, that's is, a shambles. This is anyway, the same yeah, year anyway. as he did Time Bandits. Exactly. And mm. uh, Time Bandit, because again, going on to uh, actors who've sort of become, I am fairly sure that the reason Gerard Butler is King Leonidas in 300 is they thought Sean Connery from Time Bandits yeah. is who we want to play Leonidas. Uh, yeah. But it's 30 years later. Who's like Sean Connery 30 years ago? Well, this guy's actually Scottish. <laughs> and he sounds a bit like Sean um, Connery. Yeah. Well, oh, there's one line where he just does Sean. Yeah. There's one line in 300 where Jerry Butler just does Sean. Yeah. And it's the bit where um, the God Emperor Xerxes says, there is much that our cultures can share. And he literally raises one eyebrow and strokes his moustache and says, yes, we've been sharing our culture with you all morning. And I thought, you know exactly what you did there, Jerry. <laughs> you, just, you, you just went full Sean, just for one line. Uh, <laughs> um, 
but uh, yeah, but anyway, but fight sequence after yeah. which Spota gets locked up in, and here's where the movie really starts to have his cake and eat it as regards to science, yeah, right? Because, um, on the one hand, what the, the, the cells that he holds him in are vacuum okay that's fair enough they could just be exposed to the exterior because there's not going to be any air on io i mean people who know their people who know their intrasolar system astrophysics have actually made you know pointed out a lot of stuff about things that we didn't yet get in the early 80s that would mean that you know what is being done shown being done in this film probably wouldn't work one thing we didn't understand in the 80s is just how much radiation is blasted off the surface of jupiter at all times and basically if you tried to live on the surface surface of io unless you're under lead shielding the whole time you'd all get cancer in about a fortnight all right <laughs> so that's one thing we discovered is that io is too heavily irradiated by jupiter to be inhabitable by humans for any length of time but something that even the opening captions point out is that io has you know well it's, it's two thousand miles across it has about one sixth earth's gravity mm. now something which science fiction nearly always just skates around is relative gravity in space it's never explained how in almost every movie other than the 2001 actually there's an honorable exception to that which i'll mention in a minute mm. almost in every movie in which you have spaceships traveling through deep space you can stand up and walk about inside the spaceships and it's never explained how um <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always just some line about oh there is artificial gravity what the, how the what the fuck is artificial gravity you know um the, the the way you know in 2001 they have a rotating uh sections of the spaceship which create their own centrifugal or centripetal rather motion which would create a, an artificial rip it wouldn't actually be gravity it's centripetal repulsion but it would feel like gravity enough for you to be able to walk around the outside walls mm. uh but in almost every other movie i've ever seen where spaceships are in space you can stand up and walk around inside spaceships which of course you can't now, uh, actually, weirdly, one notable exception, honorable exception to that, Avatar. Uh, when the ship turns up in orbit above the planet before they go down to the surface of the planet in Avatar, everybody's in zero G. Everybody's floating around inside it. And I remember thinking, wow, there's an interesting little concession to scientific accuracy. Um, but other than, you know, movies which are actually set about, you know, genuine space programs like, you know, Apollo 13, where they filmed the whole thing inside the KC-130 and so they could float around for a couple of scenes. Yeah. Um, but in this, basically, while they're outside the station, then that whole one-six gravity thing seems to apply because on the couple of occasions where people fall off things from a great height and they fall off very slowly, as you would. Mm. Whereas while we're indoors, everybody just seems to be operating under normal gravitational circumstances. It's never really explained how. And now we get to these these holding cells mm. where they are airless, fair enough. They could be if you just left the window open, but they're also completely weightless. Now, I'm guessing if I'm going to very, very, very heavily read between the lines here, if they've found some way of tinkering with the localized gravitational field inside the station to the point where you can just walk about like you're on Earth, mm -hmm. maybe if they reversed that process, they could nullify the background gravity of io and generate a zero g field inside these cells it's a lot of fucking about just <laughs> to have someone locked up you know what i mean but yeah. maybe you could but anyway spota is is locked up in the zero g cells in a spacesuit and uh sean is like, oh, sleep well by the way understand people can go a bit mad at night when you can't feel the floor mm. nobody speaks to him nobody goes near him you know uh, and then so i've got you nailed we, yeah 
Yeah, I've got you know, I've got you nailed. So you know, nobody speaks to him, nobody goes near him. So you know that somebody is going to speak to him or spoken to him and or gone near him by the time we next see him. Because yeah. again, that little seed has been planted. Yeah. Um, and after that is, are we now going to go and interrupt manager Rob Shepard. Reiner with his yeah. with his video golf machine? Yeah. Yeah, because interestingly, this video golf machine gets an end credit. This is a real thing, apparently. Really? That you could play. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's something like, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a caption in the end credits, Golf-O-Matic machine supplied by somebody systems. So apparently, the, this was an, a, a, an actual indoor golf machine wow. that somebody had invented in the 80s, whereby you twat golf balls at a big screen showing pictures of the golf course, and the machine calculates where you would have got to and then brings up a new picture. So to rep representing where you would be by now. I wouldn't have been at all surprised if, if Sean owned one of these and brought it with him. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, he must, have, uh, he must have been livid at he, his form. Absolutely. He liked, he liked golf, did Sean. Yes. Um, and I wouldn't have, would have been at all surprised if, if, if you know, or certainly if he didn't own one by the time this movie finished, he probably ordered one while they're all still on set. Mm-hmm. But we have the standoff with uh, Manager Shepard in which Sean coolly informs him that he knows exactly what he's up to and that he's going to bring the whole bastard lot of them down. Yeah. And then do we go straight back to the zero gravity cells? Uh, hang on. Yes, we do. Yeah, I think, yeah we go straight. That's what he says to Shepard. Um, well, Shepard yeah. says to him, if you're looking for money, you're smarter than you look. And if you're not, you're a lot dumber. Dumber. I'm probably a lot dumber, he says, yes. Says, that can be very <laughs> and dangerous. And that's end of part one of this episode of Smirchpod. We'll be back later in the week with part two. So please stick around. But in the meantime, why not like, subscribe, review, enjoy, share, tell everybody you like. And, you know, why not even buy Thunderbook? Hey, why not? See you next time. I'm Ellie Gibson, and this is our new show, Extra Life. It's basically us talking to funny people about video games. When I was a kid, it was Grand Theft Auto. 
the Sinclair ZX Spectrum. We talk about the games people remember from when they were kids and what they're playing now. Guitar Hero. The Last of Us 2. Combat on the Atari 2600. No, I love Pokemon. Anyway, find us anywhere you get your podcasts. Extra Life. GreatBigOwl.com Thank you.